Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, when I was a pastor in Denver, uh, we had a ministry with and among the the homeless population in our neighborhood, where a couple of times a week, uh, folks could drop by and get hot coffee and soup in the wintertime, get some uh, fresh uh, underwear and socks or bus tokens, um, cold lemonade, a, a few snacks to take with them during the summer, just a place where you get just a few things that you needed and, and a safe place to hang out for a little while and get off the streets. Now, the place where we did that ministry was the old sanctuary, the old place where they used to worship. They, they first worshiped there, and then they built a new, bigger place, kind of like we have the ark at the south end of the building where, where these folks used to worship, and now we worship here. Now, that worship space, that chapel... Um, had, as most places do, what's called a chancel. This is your fancy pants word for the morning, chancel. This is the chancel up here. The chancel is the raised part of the sanctuary where the altar is. But in that particular place, the chancel was really kind of like a a separate room. It was boxed off by walls. There was a little kind of half wall in the front, you know, to keep Jesus and the children separated. And then there was the table and the pulpit and all that kind of stuff. And, And what What it did was it rendered that space functionally useless for anything except for worship. And, of course, they didn't worship there anymore. And we realized that if we got rid of all that stuff, we knocked on the wall, got rid of the pulpit, the altar, all that stuff, took out the step, and opened that space up, we we would get at least 400 square feet of extra space, which was important because that ministry was growing Because unfortunately, there were more and more hungry people in our neighborhood each week. It seemed like a good idea, and so since we're Lutherans, we, you know, called together a committee and tasked them with figuring this out. So we got a committee, and they met, and as they met, they had a conversation about, you know, how to to move forward on this, and they invited other people into the the conversation. And everything was going well, because it seemed like a real no-brainer, right? And then Betty started to cry. Now, Betty was the matriarch of that congregation. She and several successive generations had been part of the ministry since its very beginning. Betty was 80 pounds soaking wet. I mean, she was a tiny wisp of a woman, but she took up space. When she talked, people listened. And we loved Betty. I adored Betty. She was kind and thoughtful and funny and incredibly dedicated. She was always there. She was just a wonderful wonderful woman. And so when Betty began to cry, everyone shut up and listened. And Betty said, how dare you even think of desecrating that holy ground? She said, I was married on that spot. My children and my grandchildren were baptized, took their first communion, were confirmed, and were also married on that spot. And when I die, I'm going to be buried from that spot. How dare you take that away? Now, I believed then, and I still do today, that the idea of opening that space up and using it for the actual ministry that we were doing Uh, was a good idea as opposed to keeping it as a museum for the ministry that used to happen in that room. But I understood exactly what Betty was saying. 
Because there are places in my world, in my life, that are holy places. Holy ground. Places where important things have happened, where the presence of God has been real. Places where where wonderful things have happened and terrible things have happened, but they are places where I knew that the world was thin and God was thick. And I, I love those places. And when I can, I make pilgrimages to those places. And I'm guessing that most of you have places like that in your world. So I, I knew, I knew where Betty's tears were coming from. A couple days later, I was having lunch with a, a colleague and a good friend of mine. And I was explaining to him, you know, the conversation that we'd had. And I was like, you know, what do you do when Betty starts to cry? And, and he said, you know, I'll do respect but is Betty going to be any happier when that spot turns into a Mexican grocery store? Because that's what's happening next. Especially if that congregation stops doing ministry with its neighborhood. And he was right. That's exactly what's happening to that spot. But Michael and Betty were both right. They were both right. There are holy places, and places and things and people also change. And somehow God is in the mix of it all. This morning I want to ponder together what it means for places and things and people, people like you and me, to be called holy. Holy ground, holy people. The word holy literally just means to set aside or to set apart for a particular purpose, right? So what does it mean to say that, that this spot or this thing or this, this people are set aside by God for a particular use? And what does that mean for us as people and places and things change and move and die and crumble and are rebuilt? Where is God in the midst of all of that? This morning we meet Moses, Uh, Moses is out in the wilderness. He has escaped the tyranny of Egypt. Um, He is a murderer, and he is running for his life with justice on his heels. And so he's out in the woods, and he is tending the sheep of his father-in-law. That's the price of marriage. So he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And there he is when suddenly God interrupts him. As God so often does when we're just minding our own business, God shows up. And so God shows up and says, hey, Moses, come over here. I got a job for you to do. And Moses, not for the first or last time in his life, looks around and says, who, me? Surely you must be talking to somebody else. But when he looks, he sees that God has shown up in the image of a flaming shrubbery, which is not something you see every day. And so he thought, well, this is interesting. I should go check it out. So he goes over to see what God is up to. And as he walks, God says, oh, not so fast, son. Show some respect. Because this is holy ground. Take off your shoes. And so Moses takes off his shoes, and God talks to him, and God gives him a new purpose for his life, a calling, a challenge, a job to do. And also gives him a name. A name that means God is with you. God is here. Now, I've always wondered why. 
why does God ask Moses to take off his shoes, right? I mean, in what way is, is that a meaningful gesture? How is it showing any more respect to God to show up without your shoes on? In my experience, when people take their shoes off in my house, it gets kind of funky, right? I mean, like, it's, it's a little smelly. So that, that's weird to me. And I've always wondered why. I mean, I do have many uh, friends of, of many different faiths, folks who do take off their shoes as they enter their holy places. Uh, our, our Muslim brothers and sisters remove their shoes before worship. Our, uh, many of our Buddhist brothers and sisters, Hindu brothers and sisters, Shinto brothers and sisters, lots of folks remove their shoes. I've just never quite understood why. We take off our shoes before we go into our house, but that's just because we don't like to vacuum all that much, right? But why? And I was thinking about that this week, and I was walking around my house. Now, in our house, we have a a large rug in our family room that is literally every single color in the world, okay? It's great because we have small children, and so you can spill something on the carpet, and it looks intentional, right? Right? So the gift of this, this rug is that it hides everything. And the thing that sucks about this rug is that it hides everything. Because my children like to play with teeny tiny toys. And you can't always see where they are. And they're not particularly good at picking up after themselves. We're working on that. And so walking around my house is a little bit like tiptoeing through a minefield, right? You never know what you're going to step on. And so the other day I was walking across that rug when suddenly I stepped on something. I still don't know what it was. It could have been a marble or a princess crown or a plastic ring or a Lego. God knows what it was, but it it hurt like sin, right? Because I wasn't wearing any shoes. And there I was hopping up and down, holding my foot and trying very unsuccessfully to hold my tongue. Thankfully, my children weren't in the room, so it was fine. And as I was really cursing whatever I stepped on, suddenly I realized why God tells Moses to remove his shoes. Because when you don't have anything between you and the ground on which you stand, you best pay attention. When there is nothing between your bare feet and the ground on which you stand, you got to pay attention because you will feel everything. And that, that I think is why God asks Moses to remove his shoes. Pay attention, son. Something is happening here. Something is going to change here, and you don't want to miss it. This is especially meaningful for us who come from a tradition that that is grounded in the ground, right? A few weeks ago, we talked about how at the the very beginning, when God created the world and God created all of life, God did so by digging into the soil, digging into the, the dust of the earth and shaping Adam from the Adamah, right? Uh, The soil creature from the soil itself. This is where we come from. As much as we might try to put distance between us and the ground on which we stand, that's where God dwells and the stuff from which God made us. 
So pay attention. Pay attention because you don't want to miss what God is doing in this place. And that's the key. You see, what what Betty was struggling with was that she thought that the thing itself was what was holy. And I think we get into lots of trouble when we think that the things or the people or the places themselves are holy in and of themselves. But rather, what makes them, what makes us, what makes these things holy is what God is doing in that place. The way in which God is tilling the soil, planting the seeds, making new life come. What made that spot holy for Moses was that that was where he heard God's name and received the gift of God's grace, but also the challenge of being a part of God's plan to deliver God's people, to bring them home safely. So back there in Denver, there was this place where year after year after year, week after week after week, God called God's people together on a holy site to feed them with God's own body and blood, and to pour God's self out in love for them, to feed their hungry bodies and hungry souls, and then to send them out into the world to be given for the life of others. And maybe, just maybe, what God was doing now was calling that same holy place to be a table around which people were being fed. How is it any less holy for God to move through God's people to to bring safety and wholeness and just a few minutes of rest, warmth in the winter, coolness in the summer to people who live such hard lives on the streets of Denver? This, too, is God moving in and among God's people, in a holy place, in a holy people, to bring God's holiness to the world. Because that's what God does. You see, God shows up. God shows up in places and in people. This is the gift of our tradition, is that we don't have a God who is just some sort of ethereal idea that we contemplate in the silent serenity of our own minds, but rather, we have a God who actually takes up space who is born in a barn, who hangs from the cross, who pours God's self into bread and wine that takes up room in our own bellies. We have a God who shows up. And if we have a God who shows up in Bethlehem, on Calvary, and in your heart, in this place, that means that if God can be there, God can be anywhere. Anywhere is a place that God can show up to bring new life, to give grace, and to challenge God's people to service. So, pay attention. Pay attention. For anywhere you walk might just be holy ground. Anywhere you go, God might be showing up to tell you who God is and what you are called to. That's what we do in this place. When we gather here week after week, what we are doing is rehearsing, paying attention. We are practicing paying attention. Paying attention to a God who shows up, takes up space, and gives God's self away for the life of the world. And so when we see God here, and when we take off our shoes and we, and we feel the presence of God in this place, showing up, taking up room, then 
maybe, just maybe, our eyes might be open to see where God is showing up out there and among whom God is moving, breathing, bringing new life in the world. So pay attention. Come to the table with your bare feet, with nothing between you and the ground from which you came, the ground by which God made you. Pay attention. Because if you don't pay attention when you leave this place, you are liable to trip and stumble and fall over the very presence of God. And a lot worse things could happen. Thanks be to God. Amen.